I know you have something to say about the pill and the brain. So if you don't mind sharing. Increases the risk of depression 40%. It depletes serotonin. It depletes magnesium. So serotonin is the heavy. Um, helps you be flexible and improves your mood. Magnesium can lower your anxiety. I have so many patients who they were fine. They went on the pill and they wanted to die. Hi, my name is Aggie and this is Biohacking Bestie. The one-stop shop for a modern queen where you can find biohacking courses, self-growth courses, and where you can find the most incredible community of women so you can hit all of your biohacking goals and beyond. Okay. Guys, I'm Aggie, and this is Biohacking Bestie, this time with a slightly different setup because we're visiting Dr. Amen in his clinic. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for uh, having me. I have an, um, a confession to make that I did not love my brain. I did not even care about my brain until I came across your work. I'm sorry, but I just thought it was like, as long as it's working, I should be fine. And so that's not that uncommon for a lot of people. People don't usually love their brain. So in 1991, I was a double board certified psychiatrist. So I'm board certified in child and adolescent psychiatry and general psychiatry. I was the top neuroscience student in medical school. Oh, wow. Didn't care at all about my own brain oh. until I started looking. When I started looking at the brain in 1991, I was 37 and I'm like, Ew, because <laughs> I played football in high school and I had meningitis when I was a young soldier. I had bad habits. And when I saw my mother's brain the month before, she had a beautiful brain. And then I saw my bumpy brain. I'm like, no, no, no. I was not happy. I come from a very competitive family, like get us on a tennis court and we don't care about being nice. We're going to win. <laughs> and the fact that my 60-year-old mother had a better-looking brain than I did, I was so mad that I think I've created all of this about brain health to get a better brain. Because when you really understand it, when you have a better brain, you have a better life. So what is brain responsible for? Because it's fair to say pretty much everything. But if we could just name a couple of things that would be a good indication of how our lives can improve when our brains improve. So it's responsible for how you think, for how you feel, for how you act, and for how you get along with other people. Your brain is the organ of intelligence, character, and every single decision you make. And when it works right, you work right. And when it doesn't, you have trouble mm -hmm. in your life. And it's the one thing virtually nobody thinks about that, because you know we see a school shooting or a bank shooting and no one's going, why? Why are all of these brains misfire? Mm -hmm. Because if we at least put the brain in the center of the conversation, we're gonna get to better answers faster. It's very true. and. So I found it really fascinating that I, I started in coaching. So I was motivating women to live their best life. And I was like, why are you just so 
a uh, you know, like, why are you lacking the energy? It's so simple. You just have to go after your dreams and it's so easy. And then the more I got into biohacking, where I was, oh my God, if you're biologically in balance, there's no Tony Robbins in the world that can get you out of the funk because your brain, if, you know, if your brain is in balance, you won't be able to get out in the morning and love your life, right? And so what was really interesting about your work and what I found really is fascinating, you can look at someone's brain and immediately tell if someone's going through depression or HD, uh, ADD, HCHD, <laughs> that's right, uh, et cetera. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, if you date any of my children for more than four months, I'm going to scan you. <laughs> it's the rule in my family that I won't even consider you dating unless I've looked at your brain. And it doesn't mean if you have a bad brain, you can't date them. But if you have a bad brain, you need to fix it. Mm. Because if not, you're going to be chronically stressful. And uh, I got divorced in 2000. I was married for 20 years. And I married her before I started scanning. And in 2000... I love that disclaimer. I was like, I didn't know. <laughs> in 2006, I met Tannen actually January 1st, 2006, my <laughs> wife, and I really liked her, but I didn't really want to like her until I saw her brain. And so January 24th, she came to the clinic. We scanned her, it passed. And, uh, I, you know, people don't even think about that. Is you're struggling in a relationship and people go, oh, he's got a personality disorder. Oh, he's narcissistic. Hey, yeah. And no one's like, well, what's going on with their brain? And for women, what's going on with her brain during her cycle? Because I have five sisters and five daughters. Oh, wow. I completely believe in PMS. Well, I'm, a, I'm a converted. And so I've actually scanned women in the best time of their cycle and in the worst time of their cycle. And that's when you begin to believe in multiple personality disorder because I'm like, whoa, I had this one patient once I was seeing her daughter, a teenager, and she calls me on a Sunday. I'm actually at a Marine World. It's like SeaWorld in Northern California. And she calls me and she's crying hysterically because she just attacked her husband with a knife. And I'm like, oh my God. I said, I'm gonna be home at five, come to the office, I'll see you. This is Sunday. And she said- uh, Wouldn't you be scared a little bit to see someone who just attacks somebody else? I didn't, it was her husband. So you understand the <laughs> aggressiveness. She didn't have those negative feelings about me. She, so I scanned her the next day during the worst time of her cycle, brain was just on fire. And then I scanned her 11 days later and it was normal. Okay, so let's talk about that. This is just based on hormones. So, oh, so many questions. We'll talk about the difference between male and female brain, but right now, just female brain during a cycle. So I'm on day six. What would you see in my brain right now? Probably be what you're usually like. So day six is generally just loving a kind. good time of so your cycle. Yeah, I feel great. And then... Uh, so what's coming up next? Score that was 21. <laughs> things begin to shift. 
Now, what about ovulation? Is there anything around the ovulation that you would For have? some women, but not a lot. Can you see if someone's more horny in the brain? No. No. I haven't studied that. Although oh, I have a challenge for you. That would be a fun thing to study for sure. Um, but it's Day 21. the last 10 days of her cycle that things start to change. Is it the progesterone going up, right? But is that related to what happens in the brain? What? Progesterone and estrogen. That as they're shifting, mm -hmm. and often if you're not pregnant, they begin to go down. Mm -hmm. As they shift, you see the brain and the emotional centers start to fire up. Mm. And the thoughtful centers start to go down. Wow. And so they're more emotional with less control. And less thoughtful, did you say? Less control, so less thoughtful. And what I always say, this is very important. All of us have weird, crazy, stupid, sexual, violent thoughts that nobody should ever hear. And when your frontal lobes, so think of it like your break. So the front third of your brain. Okay, right here. Largest in humans than any other animal by far. It's 30% of the human brain, 11% of the chimpanzee brain. 7% of your dog's brain, unless you have a bulldog and then it's 6%, 3% uh, of the cat's brain. So this is the part of us that makes us human. And when it works right, we make plans and we match our behavior consistently over time. And we break our behavior, we break our impulses. When it's hurt, or we're at that time of our cycle where our hormones are a bit haywire, things get out that should never get out. Yep, <laughs> I can affirm. <laughs> okay, so if you can explain the brain, because to be honest, I know very little about the brain and it's, I think a lot of people can relate that we kind of know like it's there and there's left and right side, but you just talked about the front and the back and so, what are like the top areas of the brain that we should kind of like, maybe it's worth for us to understand? So it's about three pounds. Um, it's soft. It's about the consistency of soft butter, tofu, custard, somewhere between egg whites and jello. It's housed in a really hard skull that has sharp bony ridges. And the left side is often involved in language and details. The right side gets the big picture of the things. So I feel like my right side is actually very big. The connections between the sides, uh, the highways, mm -hmm. are a bit larger in women. women. And women tend to have more connections. Men tend to have, even if you adjust for size, a bit of a bigger brain. And so the front part, focus, forethought, judgment, impulse controls, mm -hmm. we call those the frontal lobes. Mm -hmm. The temporal lobes underneath your temples and behind your eyes, right here. memory, mood stability, temper control, receptive language. So me be able to understand what you're saying, but also to be able to read social cues. Just really. I feel like my ex-boyfriend was missing that part. Just kidding. Uh -uh. 
And then the top back of your parietal lobe sort of catches a football, can see things in space. Mm-hmm. Um, your occipital lobe's in the back with vision, your cerebellum, which is so important, uh, is involved in thought coordination, how quickly you can integrate new information. And there's a part deep in the frontal lobes called the cingulate gyrus. I think of it as a brain's gear shifter. It lets you go from thought to thought, move from idea to idea, be flexible, go with the flow. So if you just think of a car going down a hill Mm -hmm. or going down a mountain, needs a break or it's not going to get down to the bottom, right? It'll crash. Needs to be able to shift gears, needs to be able to remember, needs to be able to see things in space, right? To be able to go around this or that turn. So all of it's important. People say, oh, we only use 10%. It's complete stupidity. You don't use all of your brain. Okay. Just some people are way more effective. And using their so it's, I love the comparison of highways and how it really matters how connected your brain is. And so, you know, we both are friends with Jim Quick, and he's very good at explaining that, you know, if you brush your uh, teeth with your left non-dominant hand, that kind of helps with the brain connection. Is there anything else that you can share that would help strengthen the, the highways uh, for humans that we well. can, like exercise on daily basis. So it's three big things, and then we can go (laughs) into them. The three big things, the first one is what I call brain envy. Mm -hmm. You gotta care about your brain. Freud was wrong. Penis envy is not the cause of anybody's problem. I have not seen it once in 40 years. It was two and a half feet too low. The only organ in your body where size really does matter is your brain. So you gotta care about it, right? And nobody- Well, so before you date somebody, like just like in your family, right? So before you actually come in, you'd be like, let's come to Dr. Amen and you know, I wanna see how big your brain is. It's just so important. And um, I live in Newport Beach where we have more plastic surgeons than almost anywhere in the world. And I often say we care more about our faces, our boobs, our bellies, and our butts than we do our I mean, work. I'm guilty of it. We don't have to look very far. And that's insane. I, not anymore. None, but none yeah. of those things create happiness. Your brain is the organ of happiness. It's the organ of depression. It's the organ of anger, of hopelessness, of purpose. Your brain, we have to love and care for this three pounds of fat. And the fact that you can actually have influence over it, you know, so I grew up with a quite depressed dad and I just was thought it was like I come from a sad family and it is what it is without actually realizing there's so much I can do and it's within my reach that I can do to to improve my brain quality and sad is a is, is something that you can cure, right? And like helplessness. Well, and we'll talk hopefully about, I have a mnemonic I like called Bright Minds. You want to keep your brain healthy or rescue it. You have to prevent or treat the 11 major risk factors that steal your minds. And the acronym is Bright Minds. So the G in Bright Minds is genetics. So what's in your family? You need to know that. I adopted my nieces because both their parents are addicts. So they have addiction in their family. They need to be 
on an addiction prevention program every day of their life. Because if they start using drugs or they start drinking, it could steal their lives. If you have depression in your family, you need to be on a depression prevention program every day of your life. Because what would I look like, for example? So what increases depression? Uh, Believing every stupid thing you think. So you need right. to become a master anteater. I call them ants, automatic negative thoughts, the thoughts that come in. I love when you talk about it, so talk more about it. Automatically and ruin your day. And if you grow up in a family with depression, there's a whole bunch of ants infesting that house. You probably noticed that your mm -hmm. dad would take an innocuous situation and think negatively yes. about it and talk negatively about it. Yeah. And so the ants, his ants, well, they jump on the children. And now the children mm -hmm. have those ants. I have a book I love called Captain Snout and the Superpower Questions. Teaches children not to believe every stupid thing they think. And it's basically a class in logic, right? Whenever you feel sad or mad or nervous or out of control, write down what you're thinking. You love Byron Katie, and so do I. I think this her book changed my life and the work. But it's like, is it true? Is it absolutely? Do you know that it's true? And is there one person that perhaps it might not be true? And so whenever I ask myself this question, it's much easier for me to get out of the funk because I understand that my thoughts aren't my thoughts. They're just thoughts floating. And, a lot of them and they may not be yours. Just like you said, you may have got them from your parents or your grandparents. Yeah, it's like survive the what, war. What I love yeah. about her work so much is you take the original thought, my wife never listens to me, and you turn it to the opposite. Yeah. If and you ask yourself, she does listen to me, and you ask yourself if that's true. And what I have my patients do, I have them meditate on the turnaround. Yeah, but even the turnaround even deeper, am I listening to myself? And usually that's even truer because I usually, we usually don't listen to ourselves and our gut feeling that we, you know, that's trying to speak to us on so many levels. Although with that example, it's I never listened to her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh-oh, put your phone away. Yeah. <laughs> but so, so the prevention program, depression prevention mm -hmm. program, not believing every stupid thing you have, disciplining your mind positivity bias training every day start your day with today is going to be a great day when you go to bed tonight go what went well today and go on a treasure hunt every night what went treasure well. oh i love that omega-3 fatty acids serotonin mood support see that's why i like yeah. it so much right i mean so if you just know okay this is one of my vulnerabilities like in my family, I have heart disease and obesity. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't have heart disease and I'm not overweight. Definitely. Why? <laughs> because I'm on an obesity heart disease prevention program every day of my life. So it's just know your vulnerabilities and be on. So if you have Alzheimer's in your family, don't go, oh, I'm going to get it. It's like, how do I prevent it? And 
I talk yeah. about. And how, you how said that you that. have to st that we have Alzheimer's for over de a couple of decades before it presents the first uh, symptoms. Is that correct? Like 20 years. Yeah. Your brain starts to deteriorate decades before you have any symptoms. And why is the brain the only organ we don't screen? Like when I turned 50, my doctor wanted me to have a colonoscopy. I asked him why he didn't want to look at my brain. Wasn't the other end just as important? What did, what did he say? He said, well, you look at brain. <laughs> but, but, it's, but it's like yeah. nuts. It is. Right? I mean, we scream. I think that's why your work is so important because up until I came across your work, I was just like, yeah, it's like unless I have a serious mental issue, which, again, depression is considered as one of that so much, not at least in Poland, because it's just like, oh, you're sad or you're not motivated or whatnot, then you seem, it seems like you're kind of on your own. And when you had that your beautiful gala back in December, which was, thank you for having me. And when you show this can, it's like, I can look at someone's brain. I can tell if someone is depressed or, you know, uh, have has OCD. And I'm like, that's crazy. That's crazy that you can actually see that because I never put the connection, which seems very obvious, but the, the connection between a mental illness and how it presents itself in the brain. And- But your brain creates your mind. Yeah. And but most psychiatrists never look at the brain. And that's insane. I mean, think about that. You go and you tell him I'm sad, yeah. and he gives you a diagnosis with the same thing you just told him. It's like, oh, you're depressed. And then gives you an antidepressant, which in large-scale studies work no better than placebo. Without, with, uh, what other doctor acts like that? Right, if you went to an ENT, the first thing the ear, nose, and throat doctor does is going to look down your throat. Yeah. Or if you say, I have belly pain, they're going to scan your belly. Or I have hip pain, they're going to do a scan yeah. over your hip. But if you say, I'm so anxious, I can't go to work, no one's going to look at your brain. Or I can't stop drinking, oh, you're a drug addict, you're bad. Um, no one's going to look at your brain. And that's insane. Okay. And I also remember you saying that uh, for women, when progesterone like tends to fall in our early 40s and how a lot of women then tend to get a little bit more depressed and they get on uh, antidepressants only to realize that actually it's a hormone replacement therapy would be more useful. Yeah, so the N in bright minds is neurohormones, hormones that impact your brain, which happens to be all of them, but neurohormones. <laughs> and if your progesterone's not right, you're not right. And you're more likely to end up on an anti-anxiety medicine, an antidepressant, and a sleeping pill. And you're more likely to drink and smoke pot because you just, you feel... Like you need something. Anxious. Yeah. So because my audience is largely females, I want to talk about the pill because I'm a big... Um, I'm trying to get women, more women off the pill as my mission because I have seen how much it has impacted me. I see more and more, more studies coming that it's not a neutral solution for us. And so it's not about getting all of women off the pill, but it's kind of helping them understand the impact the pill has on who they really are and how much it changes 
uh, their personality. And I know you have something to say about the pill and the brain. So if you don't mind sharing. Increases the risk of depression 40%. It depletes serotonin. It depletes magnesium. So serotonin is the happy. Um, helps you be flexible and improves your mood. Magnesium can lower your anxiety. I have so many patients who they were fine. They went on the pill and they wanted to die. Mm -hmm. Or they started having panic attacks or they were just awful to their family. And if you are struggling, that's one of the first things to look at. Wow, that's super powerful. Uh, it, what happens so for women, how much impact does our hormone, like uh, how much our brain has an impact on our hormones? You said everything, but how, what would be like, well, I'm trying to figure out the connection because a lot of women, you know, it's more and more common to have PCOS, endometriosis, hormone imbalances, um, acne, and all of the hormonal related issues. And so my question to you is, what, is there anything we can do to our brain that then in turn impacts our uh, hormones? and keeps them healthy. Well, so many things impact our hormones. And the one thing people often don't talk about are toxins. What hormone disruptors are you putting on your body? So whether it's your shampoo or your makeup or your deodorant or sunscreen. Plastic. People aren't looking at the labels. I'm looking for things like parabens and phthalates and fragrance, and it's crazy, the impact. I mean, just last year, the FDA took off uh, a number of sunscreens, like Johnson & Johnson and Banana Boat, because they found they caused cancer. And it's like, yeah, if you put poison on your skin, so whatever you put on your skin, goes in your body, affects your body, becomes your body. And we're living in this toxic soup where what I'm seeing with young males is an epidemic of low testosterone. Why do young males have low testosterone? Because they're being poisoned. And I often say the dermatologist won. They made us afraid of the sun. And so we have this historically low levels of vitamin D and poisons in our body. And I was so worried about the pandemic because when the pandemic happened, all of the hand sanitizers, they ran out of them, right? In fact, Jim Beam, the famous whiskey company, turned its plants into hand sanitizer plants because alcohol is a disinfectant, which another topic we should yes, cover. Yes, definitely. Right? But I was so worried that these products that everybody's relying on to protect themselves from COVID are killing them. No one's looking at the labels. Mm. It's like, let's just get these san hand sanitizers and the incidence of cancer is going to go up because of the poisons we put on our body, the incidents But they were forcing you as well to go into the store every time you had to like do it. It's like almost like you can't enter a store unless you use a hand sanitizer. Well, it's, it's there and I'm always just take healthy stuff with you. There's a company I like, I have no financial interest in them, 
that's called uh, Earth Friendly Products. They make the mm -hmm. Ecos brand. And they make cleaning products that are not going to kill you early. And that's, so, so in fun, it's interesting. So basically you would say like the first step in managing hormones would be actually make sure we don't disrupt our hormones and let the body do its job. And so by eliminating all the hormone disruptors from receipts in the store to coffee cups and drinking from plastic, plastic bottles, right? I think the biggest one is like, if you leave a bottle of water, a plastic bottle of water in the car for two days and then you drink from it, you probably drank so much. And look on the bottom of the plastic bottle. Should the, the healthier ones, the ones that leak less poison, says two, four, or five. The ones that say three, six, one, three, six, and seven are the more toxic ones. Uh, you really want to be thoughtful Whatever goes on your body, whatever goes in your body becomes your body, which is why food is so important. And, you know, are you eating food you love that loves you back? Or are you eating things that have kidnapped you? That, oh, I love alcohol. It clearly beats you up, right? There's like no question in my mind. I love marijuana. Okay, it's gonna prematurely age your brain. All right, so let's talk I about the things. <laughs> let's talk about the things that we should eliminate. Okay, we so we talked about brain envy, right? Yes, that's the first one. Second one is stop. Stop. Stop doing things and that I know hurt you. Number one for you would be alcohol and marijuana. Which one? Marijuana is worse. Well, number one is not caring about your brain, and then if we go through that mnemonic bright minds mm -hmm. so b is for blood flow being sedentary is damaging to your brain mm -hmm. or alcohol caffeine marijuana nicotine all constrict blood flow to the brain having hypertension and not taking care of it that's very damaging to your brain so basically working in an office having a coffee in the morning or two or three as you sit for the entire day and then you finish your day with a drink of a glass of wine or a cocktail is a sure way to damage your brain. It's not loving your brain for sure. Every day your temporal lobes, so on the inside of your temporal lobes is a special area. It's a really special area. It's called the hippocampus, which is Greek for seahorse because it's shaped like a seahorse. And every day it produces 700 new stem cells or new baby seahorses. Your behavior- I like baby seahorses better. Let's stick to that. <laughs> your behavior is growing those seahorses or murdering them, mm. right? So the cup of coffee, the hit of marijuana, the drink at night, staying up late, all of those things are damaging. And you're much younger than I am. You produce them, and if you're good to them, they're likely to stick around. The older you get, because blood flow tends to go down, they tend to not stick around, which is why you know I work really hard to keep my brain healthy, because I want those babies to grow and help my brain be healthy and big, right? People aren't thinking about that. So blood flow, limiting blood flows, the number one brain imaging predictor of Alzheimer's. 
Okay, so how does one improve the blood flow to their brain? Love it. Avoid things that hurt it. Okay. Exercise, especially coordination exercises. Like, did you say ping pong? Ping pong, tennis, table tennis, uh, dancing. Oh, dancing. Oh. And people who play racket sports live longer than everybody else. No. Yes. And that's a replicated study on like 88,000 people. So people who play racket sports live the longest. Because it's the hand and eye coordination? Less long. Football, less long. And um, swimmers were the second longest living. Don't know how. So exercise, beets, foods like beets, um, cayenne pepper, cinnamon, supplements like ginkgo. I'm a huge fan of ginkgo. I always say the prettiest brains I've ever seen are people who take ginkgo. Okay, well, taking notes as we speak. Uh, okay, and so uh, blood flow is super important. I know you also have a, a, a supplement for- Advanced blood flow. Yes. That helps increase it, just because it's so important to me. And I know you mentioned something about the connection between that and Viagra and how it actually the blood flow helps your brain too. Well, you know, whatever's good for your heart is good for your brain because it's all about blood flow, which is good for your sex life because it's all about blood flow. I love when the guys get on the brain healthy program, their erections get better. And, and they're like, and they get smarter. I, I love this program. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever's good for your heart is good for your brain is good for your love life. Would that be similar for women as well? It is, it, it, because it if they it, have healthy blood flow, they're going to be more, more sensitive for us. Sensitive, yeah. more responsive. Amazing. Uh, and they're going to make better decisions because, you know, if you have no forethought, there's less foreplay. <laughs> and your brain is the largest sex organ oh, in your that. body. <laughs> If I was on private, that's tweetable, but it's so true. Uh, okay, so <laughs> these are, I know you're not a big fan of alcohol because at your events, alcohol was not allowed. And I think it, it drives me crazy. I, I haven't drank in two years, or I stopped drinking two years ago. And it's really annoying how um, popular it is to get alcohol everywhere and how encouraged it is in a way. And I think, for me, even culturally, there are moments of celebration. And I just had a housewarming party three days ago. I just moved to a new place. And I was like, oh, I kind of need champagne just because it's so ingrained in our culture that alcohol is like almost equal with celebration. And it's time to change it. It's time to change it. Yeah. And I predict within the next 20 years, people are going to look at people who drink like we now look at people who smoke. You know, when you see somebody smoking, aren't you sort of going, really? Yeah, like that's so uh, 80s. <laughs> it's like, really? Yeah. The word is getting out. I mean, the American Cancer Society came out against any alcohol. Why? Any alcohol is associated with an increased risk of seven different types of cancer. This is not okay from breast cancer to colon cancer to stomach cancer to throat cancer. No, 
No, why would you do that if you loved yourself? Because people are like going, oh, amen, you know, like how can you have any fun? And so I have a high school course called Brand Thrive by 25. We teach high school students this. And when we go to the week on things to avoid, it's always a boy, never a girl, always a boy, raises his hand and goes, how can you have any fun? And so we play a game with them called who has more fun, the kid with the good brain or the kid with the bad brain, who gets the girl and gets to keep her because he doesn't act like an ass. The kid with the good brain or the kid with the bad brain, who gets into the college they want to, who has more options, who makes more. Money. Well, I think you love life more when your brain is good. You love more, you're more consistent. And so many people don't know how to manage anxiety. They go, well, I'm more social. Well, okay, there's five other things to manage anxiety that don't include poisoning your, yourself. Well, but that, that was the case for me. I would drink because I would have a very stressful day and I was like, oh, I'm looking forward to going out with friends and just like numbing. And so when I stopped drinking, it was so awkward at the beginning because I, I missed it. I'm, even though I never thought I had an alcohol problem, I was like, but just one drink. And then sure enough, when you go cold turkey, now I'm like, I think everything that I had to process in my brain and my body process. And now I'm like, why would I now? I feel great and I have way more energy. And I feel like it's funny, it's a catch 22 that as, as long as you drink, you don't see how much it impacts you. You have to like. Because right, it's shutting down that self-reflexive side of yourself. Well, um, so if I asked you, what do you really want? for yourself. I mean, I know for me, it's energy mm. and clarity and memory and focus and passion and connection and being able to live my mission. Alcohol doesn't fit any of that. Sugar doesn't fit any of that. Marijuana doesn't fit any of that. Mm. Now, I love the things I drink and I love the things I eat, but they also love me back. Like you're in a relationship with these things you were in a well, relationship with yeah alcohol and it wasn't a good relationship it was Have you an ever abusive been in a bad relationship yes although there are no bad relationships they're all lessons but oh, yes no, there are bad relationships <laughs> yes i've I been know. a psychiatrist for 40 okay. years there are bad relationships okay. and i'm not doing that anymore i'm like no i'm not and i'm damn sure not doing it with something that's making it big company a ton of money by poisoning me and killing me early. No, I'm not okay with this, right? But we live in a society that's basically unconscious mm. and we're asleep. During the Super Bowl, there were 30 beer commercials and I'm like, and you know, and they know how to use beautiful women to hijack the male brain. Because when you see a beautiful woman, your frontal lobes sort of go on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's that's good to know. Uh, that's the one res what, responsible for like information retention, right? So okay, uh, so I we're like so on board about alcohol, even with caffeine. I love my coffee, but I don't, I I don't drink it every day. Sometimes it's just like, but it's one thing I have a problem with. So. I love, I don't love, but I, I use psychedelics, uh, like 
mushrooms, not every day, but it's like in ceremonial settings. And so I'm very curious because Dave Asprey told me that ayahuasca is not exactly great for my brain. Is that true? I'm very concerned about the whole psychedelic movement. I'm like, the street drugs of the 60s are making a big comeback. And um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> like, I haven't seen them be great for brain function. Because no. isn't that ultimately what we want? Because um, I think that, for me personally, so I get a little bit I'm really concerned. curious to see your brain. Yeah, <laughs> I would be curious too. Because, uh, yeah, I wonder if you could tell, for example, because uh, I, I, you mentioned something about like how when the, the front part of your brain is very active, like you tend to be a person who has a hard time sitting still. And I would say that that's the case for me. I also uh, skydive professionally. And so I'm very curious if you can actually see that in my brain. How, long, how many jumps have you had? 300. Wow. So I wonder if you can see that in my brain. I went Are from you excitement seeking? Um, I wouldn't say so, but looking back at my life, it's, uh, there's definitely a tendency. Because there's some skydivers who aren't excitement seeking at all. They just love the sport. Mm. Um, I'm not like super, I, I don't try to do the hardest trick in the world, but I definitely, I have been pushing my boundaries with like military planes in Egypt or helicopters or um, gliders that have no engine and stuff like that. So I guess, I guess yes. But is there anything in my brain that could tell you that that's what I'm... Well, it'll be interesting because, you know, I would say there are impulsive, excitement-seeking brains, so they would have lower frontal lobe activity. And then they're compulsive brains where once you do something it's like oh i have to do it again and i have to do it again and i have to do it again so it'd be interesting to see what your brain will look like so what actually let's talk about it is there any anything good that happens when you push your boundaries and step out of your comfort zone because i went from somebody who i couldn't even look at people skydiving if i saw a video i would get nauseous i was so scared but because my boyfriend at the time was skydiving, I was like, okay, I'll try once. And then he's like, try 25 times and you'll actually like it. And so I was like, okay, so I'll try, I got my license. And after 25 times of lots of crying and being completely terrified, I encourage you like it, but it took a while. So my question to you is, what happens in our brain when we're terrified? <laughs> is it healthy to push yourself out of your comfort zone? Is there any like a neuro connection that happens when you try something that you are terrified of, or it's... Well, you know, I guess I err more on the side of caution just because I've seen so many brain injuries. Mm. Um, some stress is essential, right? If you had no stress, the brain wouldn't develop properly. And if you have too much stress, the brain falls apart. So it's what's the right dose of pushing yourself to grow your brain versus either being too lazy or overwhelming. Yeah. Like if you do too much for your children, clearly bad for your children, right? If you make every decision for them, if you make their bed, if you make their lunch and they don't have to do anything but sort of show up, you're going to raise entitled, ineffective people. 
yeah. it's not what you want. You want to let them do as much as you can. Children who work grow up with better self-esteem than wow. children where <laughs> things are done for them. Yeah, it's a fascinating study out of Harvard. They looked at 454 inner-city Boston school kids, and they followed them for 70 years, looking at what goes with health wow. and addiction and self-esteem. The only thing that correlated with self-esteem was whether or not they worked as children. And when I was 10 years old, my dad took me to work. It's like, come on. It's the only time I spent with him because he worked all the time. So I loved it. But it teaches you a sense of competence. I think it's just that feeling needed at the same time and feeling like, you know, at the end of the day, we your mission is so strong because you learn so many things and you want to let other people know that that's what you're learning and that's beautiful. What would you say is helpful for those who, what has helped the most to your patients? Those who aren't quite sure what to do with their lives. They, they don't seem to have a mission or a sense of purpose. They haven't found their thing. And so how does one go about discovering that sparkle that makes them wake up every morning and say, wow, like, this is exciting. This is what I'm So it's for. easier to get the sparkle if your brain is healthy. Mm. So if you're playing video games and drinking coffee in the morning and alcohol at night and smoking some pots really hard to find your passion when you're poisoning your brain. So what I would say, if you want to find passion and purpose, get your brain healthy. And then figure out what you love, you know, what besides things that hurt you, you know, I love alcohol, I love video games. What, what do you love and how can you serve other people with what you bought? Like, what do you love to do? I love writing, I love teaching, I love looking at brains. Well, how does that help other people? You know, my ultimate purpose is to help people have better brains and better lives. And I have to have a better brand, a better life in order to teach it, right? Because if you don't live the message of your life, you suck as a messenger. <laughs> and so, yeah. so I think it's really looking inside is, you know, what would I read even if I didn't have to? What would I do even if I didn't have to? And then those things think... connect, at least in my case, they connected over time. And I guess it's like also being patient because you said you didn't do your first scan until you were 37 which it's quite interesting that, that your mission came to you a little later in life, right? So Yeah, I was a late started. bloomer. When I was 18, I went okay. in the military because Vietnam was still going on here. And I became an infantry medic, fell in love with medicine, didn't like being shot at, so I got retrained as an x-ray technician, fell in love with imaging. And then when I got married, when I was a second-year medical student, my first wife tried to kill herself. I took her to see a wonderful psychiatrist. I'm like, oh, I want to do what he does. But they don't do imaging, so I had to add imaging to it. But you see how all of these things Maybe. ultimately work together. It's probably the same thing for you, yeah. that you look at your experiences and then what you Yeah, and now do. everything came together. I'm 36 now, and so I can definitely see the difference. It's like, oh, it all makes sense. But it took a while, and I think a lot of people, like when you're 21 and you're like, I don't know what to do with your life, I'm like, good, like you're not meant to know what to do in your 20s, almost like to give yourself some grace. Because I think there's like big pressure to 
to know exactly, which is almost paralyzing in a way. But that's where social media hurts so many people because they go, oh, this person has this or that, and I don't, and I don't know where to start. You start by having a healthy brain. What happens in our brain when we're scrolling on Instagram? It dumps dopamine. It's these little dopamine hits over and over and over. And the problem with that is it wears out an area of the brain called the nucleus accumbens. It's like the pleasure area in the brain. And it responds to dopamine. But if you do too much or too often, pretty soon it starts to become less responsive. And so it needs more and more to feel anything at all. And that's how addictions start. As you wear out the dopamine centers. When you talk to addicts, they're not drinking or using cocaine or amphetamines because it makes them feel awesome. They're doing it so they don't feel awful because they've worn out that part of their... And also there's a connection between dopamine and cravings and how if I have low dopamine levels, we crave sugar and, you know, foods that isn't good for us. Well, and it's often we've done things to lower our dopamine levels. And cold plunges are in now. I don't know if you do cold plunges. One just arrived at my house as I'm here. So yes, <laughs> I will now. <laughs> they increase dopamine significantly. Oh. But why don't we first, before we suffer... You just make sure we're not dumping dopamine. And my new book, I talk about dripping dopamine versus dumping dopamine. So, so how do we of, drip dopamine? So dripping in it is looking for the micro moments of happiness. Like what's the smallest thing that happened that made you feel happy? Is it a butterfly or a hummingbird or holding your partner's hand or you know, a special moment at work. Um, the Lakers won last night, although that was a bit of a dopamine dump because it was so stressful. Um, it's so I think of micro moments of happiness. Which are so easy to miss when you're on your phone because then everything tastes meh, right? So the moment you start noticing the little things in life and... Well, start every day with today is going to be a great day. Because then you're training your brain, right? You've trained your dad, for example. He trained his brain to be negative. Because mm -hmm. the more you go down that road, the more you build the negative highway. And then pretty soon you build the negative tunnel. And that's all you can see, right? He's got this concrete tunnel of negativity because he's gone down that road over and over and over when... You go, today is going to be a great day. You're building a new road. You're beginning to look forward to your life. Or when you go to bed at night, go, well, we're not well today. And start at the beginning of the day and just go hour by hour. What do I like about my day? You can deal with the things you didn't like, but never before bed. That just sets up your dreams to be bad. Train your mind, just like Olympic athletes. I have a great story. One of our Scan My Brain people, uh, Alicia Newman, who I love, um, she's a Canadian pole vaulter. And she came to see, I do this series on Instagram called Scan My Brain. Mm -hmm. And 
uh, she came to see us a couple of years ago because she had a bad concussion and then got depressed. And they were drugging her, trying to get rid of the depression. And I'm like, no, no, no. And so I've seen her and you can just see her brain go to negativity, go to negativity. And I'm like, just like you're training in pole vaulting, because if you see pole vaulters, they're amazing athletes. I said, just like you train, you've got to train your mind. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And visualize her being perfect at her craft. And just last month, she was named the 2023 World Indoor Pole Vaulting Champion for Women. I'm so proud of her. But it's that training. If we're going to train Olympic athletes, we got to train our own minds and we do it through repetition, right? I mean, she's probably jumped thousands of times. If you're depressed, odds are you've gone down that negative tunnel thousands of times. Well, how about today is going to be a great day? Thousands of times. What went well? Because at the beginning, you have to put a little bit more work given that you've been living in the dark tunnel. So right. you, you got to climb out of the rut, yeah. which comes with repetition. And you need to be unhappy. I mean, that's what I've discovered is people have to be unhappy in order to change, right? It's people don't change yeah. when they see the light. They change when they feel the heat. <laughs> Unfortunately, like that's they say, like you work, uh, you know, going through a breakup or death or sickness it's the moment where we have this big aha moment of like okay it's time to like become a new person because i no longer want to live in that vibration anymore uh, you have so many famous patients dr amen um what has taught is there any way that you can see the difference between someone being in the spotlight versus someone who's a leading quote-unquote normal life yeah, don't hope for fame. Don't wish for fame. It's not good for the brain. <laughs> it's bad for the brain. Really? It wears out the dopamine centers. I mean, can you imagine if you're Miley Cyrus and 103,000 people are screaming for you or they see you in a car and they beat on your car? It's terrifying. But it dumps all your dopamine. I mean, yes, it's cool. But it's like super high and then kind of gets it's super, super high. And then it's super low. And she's developed this great strategy of being able to go early, come home, don't drink, go to sleep, have a normal life, and protect yourself from the highs and from the... Which requires... And, and the lies, you know. They're filled often with ants. I mean, I've had people like Miley and Justin, I'm not good enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not... I'm like, if you're not enough, whoever would be, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, it's just the little lies that steal. Yeah. And, it's, and it's like, and no one's immune to them, right? It's just like having understanding that. Oh, no, lots of people are mean to them. You're famous. Really? All of a sudden, the haters come. We are living in a historic time of hate. Well, let's talk about that. So that's a great way because I think... You know, I'm obviously nowhere near. I mean, they're hate level. bots. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, all I'm of a sudden, I'll go that... on and do an Instagram live with somebody, and Dr. Evans is a scammer. 
and and it's like and you actually go to that person then they and they have no followers yeah. because they're not real and so the internet companies or malware is escalating societal hate which is escalating societal depression and escalating societal anxiety and societal angst. And so let's talk about that. about that. I'm not happy either because there's this whole thing I mean, on Instagram. you're a public figure. So yeah, and I get stuff. so much hate, mostly from women, and I get to... But you wonder if they're actually real women or not. So. Very true. And then it's also like this assumption, they're like, well, you put yourself out there, so you should deal with it. And they try to, you know, like have a good mental attitude and just see like, you know, like what people say about me says more about them than it says about me, which is always true. But at the same time, there's also like effects on the brain, like you said, right? So when we're well, exposed- Negativity is stressful. So so why should you, should you not be a hater? Because it's, don't be a hater because it's bad on your brain. It's bad on, for other people's brain, right? People that are being attacked. You're much more likely to die early. Um, if you're focused on the negative, but for you, you should have your team deal with it. You shouldn't deal with it. Uh, I, I'm really clear on, on that. If you, cause then every moment you either get joy, dopamine, or you get cortisol stress and cortisol shrinks your hippocampus and puts fat on your the belly. Yes. Neither, neither of those you'd be happy with. And less seahorses. No. Do what you love, and like I have a great team, and they deal with the hate, and I, I. Don't. And they bring because I'm focused on what I'm doing, and you know I want to do things that make me happy and also serve my community, but no. The haters have to stay away. <laughs> That's actually, it's funny how like we are being taught as women that, you know, especially like this is part of the deal that you get, you know, that if you want to be on social media, you have to get used to the hate. But turns out it's not neutral. Like we shouldn't be hearing all of these negative comments. On the internet, every idiot has a voice. Every idiot has a voice. You don't know if they're drunk. You don't know if they're doing whatever. You, you just, and you don't know the trauma in their lives, yeah. right? And so to take it personally when you don't have the whole story actually says more about your story. And so you have to get your story right. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had to deal with the, you know, if you're doing something different than your colleagues, right, automatically people hate you. And, but I don't hate me. I really like me. And I know I do things for the right reasons. And the, the more I ignore them, the happier I get. And so would you ignore them by focusing on things that you really love? Mm -hmm. And just more putting energy into things that you Yeah, and it doesn't mean I ignore problems. I mean, if somebody's really got a valid point, I think about it, talk to my team about it and adjust but i'm i'm it, i never let someone i don't trust 
have that kind of input into my life. Wow. So I need to know if I trust them. And also that kind of access to you, you know, like if someone can send you a DM and, and know that you read it, that is just like such an easy access to your story. Yeah. And it sounds like I might have to get one. Too. You need a team. Yeah, I love that. Dr. Amen, before we go, any advice specifically for women and their brains? Because we're always, as women, uh, prioritize other people in our lives, often pouring our love and energy. And um, we overcommit and we have so many responsibilities. How, what can we do to take care of our brains, our lives, our mindset? So we... Well, having five sisters and five daughters with kids, you can do anything. You need to have clarity on what you want. And you have to start by taking care of yourself. So many women I see won't spend money on themselves, won't take care of them. They spend all their time on their kids or their husband. And I'm like, look, if you're not right, they're not going to be right. You need to take care of yourself because worn out moms are not great moms. Or partners as well. Right? Or partners, right? So when you put your mask on first, you know, the airline analogy, it's, it's a great analogy. I use it all the time. Um, and it means taking care of your brain. So there's time to exercise. And we're not lying to ourselves going, you know, I'm so stressed I have to drink. It's like, you're so stressed because you were drinking. There's, um, people often don't know that the big withdrawal from alcohol is like 24 hours later. So if you drink at the end of the day, 24 hours later, you're going to want a drink because you're withdrawing. And when you stop drinking, I did a podcast yesterday and this couple hadn't drank for 90 days. They were taking a break. And the first day they started drinking was their first fight in 90 days. <laughs> wow. like, pay attention to that. You know, as a psychiatrist over the last 40 years, what have I seen? Alcohol is a frickin' disaster for relationships. So it's That's take helpful. care of yourself, love your brain, get your hormones checked every year. Just sort of have a sense of where they are yeah, because I think it's it's our and then only love food that loves you back. The little lies, I would call them the little lies that keep us fat, depressed, and feeble-minded. Oh, I worked all week. Let's have the nachos now. They're not helpful for you. They're not going to do anything good for your brain or your body. Oh, but I love sugar. But does it love you? Mm. Right. So just start thinking of everything you do, the tea you drink, or the hot chocolate I make for my family at night, it's, do you love it? Does it love you? Yeah, and it's also, um, you see, there's a correlation between obesity and brain, right? Yeah, so the D in bright minds is diabetes, which is high blood sugar and or you're overweight. As your weight goes up, the size and function of your brain goes down which should scare the fat off anyone. But that's like a whole other story, right? Because it's not even 
the nutrition and so many toxins. Like if I was to, I would be curious, like if you saw someone who um, is overweight, what would be your first recommendation? Because there's often this assumption people that are overweight don't eat healthy, which it's not true. I just know a lot of like a lot of friends and family that eat super healthy and they're still overweight. And I, I think it's the toxins. Uh, there. I think it's all of it. I think it's all of it. I mean, the first, the easiest thing to do is let's look at what you're eating. Mm -hmm. And I think of calories like money. And if you're overweight, you should know how many calories you consume in a day. And I don't ever want you to go like below a thousand calories. No, because then your body won't get the nutrition it needs. Mm -hmm. But if you're not counting, you could be having 3,000 calories a day and just flat out lying to yourself. So I like people to sort of have a sense, where's their bank account? And then you look at the quality of the food, because it's not just calories, right? You can have an 800 calories of a latte from Starbucks, right? If you're not careful, um, or you can have a 400 salmon, walnut, blueberry, so, it's interesting. So, so I think food really matters. But at the same time, there's more obesity along the Mississippi River because of the obesogens, the toxins that are in the soil. And so we already talked about toxic products that you're putting on your body. We are living in this toxic soup. Um, Glyphosate. I, I think... I, th I think the, the easy thing is, okay, what am I eating really? And, and people lie to themselves. Like, like I have a scale at home and it's like, oh, I want four ounces of steak. And then I look at it and I'm like, really? That's only what, that's only four ounces, you know? And I, I get sad, but I'm telling myself the truth. And I, I like know the truth. The truth will set you free. What am I? Well, first really? piss you off. It, first might piss you off, <laughs> but it'll still set you free. Free, right? Like the first time, like I used to have grape nuts for breakfast, and it's like, oh, it's 220 calories for a bowl. So I would get a big bowl and fill it up and then put milk in it, and I'm thinking I'm having like 300 calories, and it's 900 calories. When you actually go, it's 220 calories for half a cup. So you actually have a cup and pour the grape nuts in a half a cup and put it in the bowl, you're like, no freaking way. <laughs> See, I never, I'm, I'm not very good at like portion control, but I noticed that like, if my hormones are off, like um, the leptin, right? Which is responsible for, for yeah. It's sometimes just not working. Let me tell you, cause I can just keep eating and I feel like it's, I'm not satiated. When I think back of the time when I couldn't lose my weight and I think it's pretty the quality of the food as well and just like eating actual food versus snacking. Well, and not eating dumb carbs. So yeah, dumb well, always vegan, which was really hard for me. Glycemic, um, low fiber carbs, bread, pasta, potatoes, mm -hmm. rice, sugar. I've been doing keto the last four months because uh, I read some research on what it does to the mitochondria in your brain. It's not hungry at all. Yeah, a fat is the move. I add butter to my coffee in the morning and 
I feel. Well, you look great. Thank you. Um, thank you so much. Thank you for your time today. Uh, you, how many books did you read? 42? Crazy. I think most people haven't read 42 books, let alone write <laughs> 42 <laughs> books. Change your brain every day. Dr. Eamon, thank you so much for your time. I can't wait to stand by for a scan. And where can my audience find you apart from Instagram? Dr. So Eamon? this book is my greatest hits book. Oh. So all the 42 books, I took everything I knew and put them into 366 short essays on the most important things I've ever said. So if you spend five minutes a day with me in my office for a year, and it's 366 because next year's leap year, uh, this is a really cool book. I'm very proud of it. So people can follow me on Instagram, uh, doc. doc underscore Amen, or on TikTok at Doc Amen, or amenclinics.com to learn about what we do. And also your wife has an amazing Instagram account. I really uh, love her. It's uh, at Tana Amen. Tana Amen. Tana Amen. Uh, very, very cool. So highly recommend that as well. I hope she gets to come on my podcast as well. Thank you so much for today. Have a beautiful day. And I can't wait to get scanned by you so you can find out more about who I am. <laughs> I'm looking Thank forward you. to it. You're like analyst. Thank you. Thank you so much. I feel like you're like, okay, what? Psychedelics, skydiving. Hmm. Already know it's coming. <laughs>